Hello and welcome to the Music Retailers Podcast. I'm your host, Donovan Bankhead, and together you and I are going to listen to and learn from some of my favorite instrumental music retailers, manufacturers, well, anyone else that I think would be interesting. My goal is to provide a podcast where you can learn something new in every episode. Today's guest is Peter Side from Robert M. Side's Music Center in Pennsylvania. In our conversation today, we talk about a variety of things, including family business succession, what college education is appropriate for someone who wants to someday run a music instrument rental empire, rental growth or acquisition, and how to keep those new customers, finding road reps, the rent-to-own challenges from the 90s, the value and value brands, long-range planning, the NAM Idea Center, all kinds of great stuff, so stay tuned. All right, so the first thing is give me and our listeners a background on on your business and the name of it, where it is, where it started, so on and so forth. Sure. Uh, it's Robert M. Sides Family Music Center. And our, our, we have kind of a little bit of a long story, but I'll try to keep it in a, in a good chronological order for you. So my, my grandfather um, was a piano tuner. My great-grandfather was a piano tuner. And um, if we start back in like 1904, my great-grandfather was working in the Chickering Piano Factory in Boston, Massachusetts. Hmm. And I'm not sure how, but he got an opportunity to move to Elmira, New York to work for another company that made pianos. And so he took that opportunity and went. And then soon after that, he kind of went out on his own as a piano tuner. Um, and then two of his sons opened music stores and learned how to tune. And then his daughter, Ellen, married Robert M. Sides. And he uh, was a, a singer and a sax player and kind of learned the tuning thing through the family. And then moved down into Pennsylvania. And the store started from that, tuning pianos, um, selling pianos out of his home. Um, and then I, I, you know, when I was, well, actually it was before I was born, but there was uh, a double house and half was the family and the other half was the piano store. And my dad will t tell me about, you know, they're eating dinner and they hear the bell on the front door and neither dad or his, my dad or my grandfather would get up and walk through the hall <laughs> over to the piano showroom <laughs> to talk to the customers and then go back That's to the family. Awesome. Um, and uh, and so the yeah the, the 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 family name is actually Fletcher. My grandmother Fletcher married and married Robert M. Sides, and so Bob Fletcher, who was a past chairman of NAM and had Fletcher Music Centers down in Florida, they were big or, uh, oh, yeah. chain of organ stores. He my grandmother is his aunt, um, and then his brother Dave worked for Baldwin and Young Chang um, and had a music store in Elmira, New York. Yeah, a lot of a lot of connections in and around uh, the music industry, but you know, I, I know my, my my uncle Bob will say like, oh, the sides, you know, usurp the name and just because <laughs> it's not Fletcher anymore. But um, yeah, it's kind of neat to to have a you know a story like that in a background. Piano tuning's still a thing, so it's not like <laughs> it's not like right. they were making hurdy gurdies back then, and now <laughs> we have no connection to it. Yeah, it's a part of our business, and so then the business kind of became. Uh, branded under his name when? Uh, 1937 is the date that they started saying, you know, Robert M. Sides, you know, piano tuning and piano sales. And then uh, I would say in the 50s, 
uh, Hammond organs. So it was piano and organ. And then mm -hmm. when my dad came into the business, he started to add, you know, band instruments, guitars, uh, stereo equipment, because a lot of music stores back then, you know, sold TVs yeah. and hi-fis and, and diversified, you know, a good bit. But uh, you know, I think most people up until probably the 1980s called it, oh, Robert M. Sides Pianos. <laughs> and uh, so, but now, what's the business look like today? So, the, the business today is still full line, but obviously, you know, it's, it's changed. Um, uh, from 1955 to 2000, we sold stereo equipment and home theaters and, um, you know, things like that. And uh, I remember when I was in college, in 1995, Circuit City opened about five miles away from our store. Mm -hmm. And within three or four years, the, the sales revenue of that stereo department was cut by almost 60%. Because that was still early days of internet. So you can almost chalk that totally up to that, that big box store just coming in there. And so in you know, 99, 2000, we just said, okay, this, well, this isn't going to be a thing anymore. And uh, so we added some extra lesson space and, you know, started that was when that was probably the first time we had to really look at okay we can't just do what we want to do we need to look at what 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 we can be good at what we can be viable at and what are what our customers want us to be good at too. what's your background and when did you get involved uh so i, I you know growing up i i cleaned rental return instruments i uh <laughs> cleaned uh washed road rep vehicles and things i, I remember <laughs> In the when I was in high school in the '90s, the the a lot of the new instruments when they shipped in were full of red rouge, um, oh, yeah, the, rub, the rubbing compound, and so yeah. you 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 couldn't put trumpets out without uh, you know we didn't have an ultrasonic cleaner back then, but you had to scrub them and blow them out and everything just to just to have them rental ready from from almost any manufacturer. So that was my high school days, and then I I went to college uh, for business, kind of thinking that you know, I'd probably have an interest in what we were doing and then came home and graduated in 1998, moved back to Pennsylvania and uh, then went through a series of, you know, a couple different positions to kind of learn the business. So I sold pianos on the floor. I was a road rep for uh, a couple of years. Uh, I was a store manager for a couple of years and, um, you know, to kind of you know, that, that store manager thing, because, right? you know, going from pianos to band instruments, you know, and I was able to figure that out. And then I became a store manager. And then it was all of a sudden, what do you know about combo? And I was like, mm -hmm. I don't know anything. I played bass, but I didn't really know, you know. And so I was really fortunate that around that time, we had a very good rep from Yamaha, uh, Reed Laramore. I don't know if you mm -hmm. have met him before. He's a, he's a vice president of the, in the combo division now. Um, but he was he was from our part of Pennsylvania, and he was our rep then, and he really kind of sat me down and over those couple of years taught me how to how to how to do the combo business in a in a small market in a full line store and uh, and I was very appreciative of that because <laughs> it, it was so different than pianos and band and orchestra that uh, I really felt like it was out of my area expertise. Yeah, it's definitely a specialized uh, bit of knowledge. Of course, in our industry, it seems like most people have that and they don't have the business background that, you know, you learned in school and got learned from your family. So if you had to pick one of those things to learn, 
think I'd rather have to learn the combo side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when you, when you look back, it was my, so piano tuner, piano tuner. My dad went to college for business and could play a little bit of organ, but he, you know, he would never call himself a, a musician, musician, you know, has a good ear, um, but not a trained musician. My mom has a music ed degree. Um, and, you know, that, that obviously gave her, you know, a, a, a strong foundation in that. But my, my sister and I were hobbyist musicians, but by no means, you know, accomplished. I, I joke with, with some of our customers. I said, trust me, I'm the worst musician employed by our company. Because I've got, you know, our, if I go down like through our road reps, I've got uh, music performance, uh, music theory, music history, music business, music ed, you know, and, and all those people can, you know, sight read a chart on a moment's notice. And you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not that guy, but I, uh, you know, I, I still hack my way through bass <laughs> and, uh, and have some fun playing with some adult rock camps that we do at our store. So that, that keeps me involved. And when awesome. I did, I did uh, French horn and piano and violin back in the day. So your degree, you got a degree, just a kind of a general business degree. Is that correct? Yeah, I went to uh, Babson College in, in Wellesley, Massachusetts, and basically everybody that graduates from there has a business degree, and you can pick a concentration, and I was having a hard time picking a concentration because I felt like, well, if I went down the marketing path, I'd, I'd, I'd look back and go, oh man, you really should have done some accounting, and if I did the accounting thing, I'd, I'd have regrets about that, and so I, I did a, what they called a self-design major. And it was a mix of accounting, finance, sales management, marketing, and with a, with a strong minor, almost a double major in information technology. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I tried to, to, to maximize the resources that I had there without going all the way down the rabbit hole in one direction. I guess, I guess looking back, I probably should have gone a little deeper on the accounting <coughs> and finance part. Um, only because I always found that, you know, really interesting, but I, I still consider myself more of a, a managerial accountant than a financial accountant. Like I'm not, right. your, I'm not your debit and credit and, and ruler and paper guy um, by any stretch, but I, I love digging through and analyzing and fig, trying to figure out where the, where the problem really is when it's three different things, you know, all kind of pointing out a, a symptom, uh, almost like a, forensic accounting but not, not I'm not that skilled probably but but it was uh, it was a great experience um, learned a lot still have a lot of good friends from that but yeah it was it was it was interesting because I was on a campus you know being a business school with one piano <laughs> two two five-piece like com combos bands um, but no you know there was no it wasn't there was almost li literally no liberal arts at that you know, no football, so no marching band, no, no right. but, but a great experience and uh, learned a lot. So you're the president of Robert Insights Music today. What does your day-to-day -day look like? Um, well, it, it varies a little bit. Um, we, have, we have four store locations, so I try to maintain a somewhat predictable schedule and that I'm, because I, I don't live where our corporate headquarters is. I live in State College. Um, our headquarters is in Williamsport. So I, I spend two days a week in Williamsport. Um, I try to visit um, the New York and the, the store up by Scranton, Pennsylvania, at least once, if not twice a month. Um, and then the State College store 
you know, I'm in there at least a day or two a week, um, not necessarily involved in the day-to-day -day operations of it. Um, but I have, an, if I have an office, it's in that store. <laughs> so it's, you know, when I'm in, when I'm in Williamsport, I have to be, you know, very, it's, it's very much a hub and spoke. So I know this is an audio thing, but if you think of Williamsport's in the center of Pennsylvania, Scranton, uh, is an hour and a half to the east. State College is an hour to the west. And Elmira, New York is an hour and a half to the north. Uh, we're very hub and spoke geography and also in our operations. So all our, our repair services, shipping and receiving and office staff is centralized in that Williamsport store. So those, those two days in Williamsport is really when I get to get involved and dive in on operational things, um, repair shop, you know, the things that are where the, where the, where those people are located um, and maximize that time. And then being able to prioritize that versus the days when I'm on the road or I'm in state college, you know, I can do more of the things that don't necessarily involve face-to-face -face contact with, you know, those people that are 99% of their job is in the building in Williamsburg. But it's, uh, you know, and, and as you know, from, from your business, it's, it's seasonal. So the plates are spinning in the band and orchestra department, hot and heavy in, in August through, through October. And now we're, we're spinning the, 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 the pre-Christmas and step up band season plates. And there's, there's no question, though, uh, that you have those days where you're like, oh, if we, if we were only a little more focused on this, we could do that. And then there's other times where you say, thank God we're diversified and we've got this, 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 and this. And so, you know, sometimes you feel like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth, but you have those, uh, right. You have, you have those seasons for sure. And, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm having come off helping with that, um, that maternity leave. I'm, I'm getting back into my normal schedule now. Uh, you know, obviously the nice thing is when I was a road rep 20 years ago, cell service was so bad. There was no multitasking while you were, uh, calling on schools. Right. And so now, you know, if I've got a half an hour in between schools, I can check in with a store location. I can call a customer back. I can, you know, with an earbud and not feel like I've, uh, you know, ignored my managerial responsibilities. You know, those, some of those, those school relationships are too important to just say like, Hey, somebody, you know, to take somebody who's never called on a school before and say, Hey, keep this whole thing afloat for three months while Mackenzie's having her child. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's not fair to, it wouldn't be fair to them. And it certainly wouldn't be fair to the, the teachers, particularly at, at, at that critical, you know, time of the year. With back right. Other than this time right now where you're, you're filling in for a road rep that's on maternity leave, how often are you personally getting into schools to visit your directors? I try to ride around with a, with a road rep at least once a month. The springtime, I can do it a lot more, obviously. Right. Um, they have a lot more availability. And in Pennsylvania, um, our festival system uh, starts to ramp up in January and culminates with Allstate in April. So between January and April, between going to festivals and director parties and riding around with road reps, those are the four months when, when that's a lot more frequent. May into June, we get towards the end of the school year. Um, there's field trips and other stuff like that. So it's not, not, there's not a lot to, to, to do in terms of riding around. We're almost sometimes as likely to, to find the teacher, you know, on a field trip or doing something special. So that, that January through, through April is a really, you know, focused time of the year for us. 
Um, and it's a good time, I think, for them, too. They're not a few months away. The, the kids that are in the festival system are already into it, and it's just a question of how far they're going to go. Their next concert's not till end of April or May. You know, they're not starting beginners. So, you know, for me to ride around September, October, probably I would get a thank you and a good to see you, but I've got a hundred right. million things to do and <laughs> we'll see you. So it sounds like, I mean, your business obviously is really focused in on school music. How would you kind of break down your revenue percentages, just rough percentages? Like how much of it do you think comes through school music? How much of it comes through uh, combo, so on and so forth? Sure. Uh, repair, well, I, I, probably the, the most, the most telling thing is about 70% of our revenue is what I, what I call non-retail. So that's um, rentals, lessons, repairs, and then things sold to non-taxable entities like a church or a school. That, when, we, when we first started to see that number climbing maybe about 10 years ago, um, you know, because the piano department, since I've been home in 20 years, has gone through two devastating recessions. Right. Um, and so uh, scaling that has, has not been, you know, you can't, even, you can't even really use the word scale when you talk about the keyboard business, because for most of us, it's been scaling in the other direction. <laughs> or, or, you know, on a dollar basis, you might be selling the same units, but there's so many used and digital pianos in that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when we, I, you know, the, I, I remember now, we had the state of Pennsylvania called us maybe 15 years ago and said, we want to know what your percentage of taxable versus untaxable sales is. Because in the, at the time, in the state of Pennsylvania, if more than 25% of your sales were not taxable, they didn't want to classify you as a retail store for workers' comp and other things. And we were really close to that number. And then I thought about it. I was like, okay, church organs, you know, Steinway pianos to colleges or high schools and things. And then all the supplies that we sell to school districts, you know, that adds up to, that gets close to 25% pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. And then when we dug deeper and then we said, okay, well, we, we have retail stores and we do provide a, you know, a retail footprint for people. But the the core of our business really is those 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 other revenues, um, which is you know rental repair and 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 lessons. And the, I think the fortunate thing for us is that those those are the things that are um, a little more predictable, a little more systematic. You know that and and things that in the grand scheme of things, when you look at the Amazon or, or the 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 challenges that we that we all go experience in our industry, those are the things that require a personal touch, require a, a relationship, are, are, aren't easily replaced um, by, a, by a computer or, you know, other things like that. So probably better to be in that instance than, you know, I think of like a combo only store where potentially upwards of 90% of everything that you sell is available with uh, free shipping and no sales tax from the internet. Yeah, um, it's it 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 doesn't give you uh, uh, a level of predictability. I I don't know how I would budget <laughs> if I were a pure sales organization, given given those realities now in the retail landscape. 
Well, it it requires. I don't know if you're like a. It's always sunny in Philadelphia fan or not, but it's going to have show, like yeah. Charlie's board with like the string and the pins and you know all and then some chicken guts that you can throw up there occasionally helps. You sprinkle some trick chicken blood up there and then you know it's just a it's just basically a witch's cauldron of sure guessing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're saying roughly 70% of your business essentially falls under what I, we consider the service side of our business, the rentals, lessons, and repair. What percentage of, how, how does that 70 cent break down into the, inside those categories, do you think? Like roughly what percentage is rental, what percentage is lessons, what percentage is repair? Two-thirds of it is probably rental. And then the rest of it, so yeah, two th- and then that last third, <laughs> if I took that last third and then the repair part would be twice as big as the lessons. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Repair is pretty significant, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't come close to what, what uh, rental is. Your revenues are centered around rentals and then probably repair and retail might be kind of similar in terms of volume and then lessons are at the bottom. Yeah. 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 I'd, say okay. that's, I'd say that's fair. Gotcha. Okay. How, how do your stores differ from your local competitors? Our stores actually are not a hundred percent identical. Um, we have three full line stores and one store is a band and orchestra sort of repair shop road rep station only. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had to look at each market as being a little bit different. You know, that, that, you know, I'll give you a for instance. So in that mar- in that Scranton Wilkes-Barre market where that store is just band and orchestra centric, that's the most heavily populated area uh, where we have stores located. But there's probably ten music stores up and down that valley, mostly guitar centric. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a, a national chain with a location there. And so, you know, we, we, we discovered probably slower than we should have that, you know what, in, in that, in that Scranton Wilkes-Barre market, you know, we, we, we determined that, okay, the band and orchestra thing is really uh, strong and viable and scalable. But for instance, um, that's the only store where we don't teach lessons. And even with all those people around there, what we found is that people in that market don't want to travel very far for lessons because Mm -hmm. there's traffic and road construction and everything else. And so lessons there have become a very, you know, I've, I've got people in some of our smaller markets that'll drive twice as far than they will in that market. And so we said, okay, well, I don't know that we're going to be able to have a strong lesson program in that market. And so we started to shape that store around what we felt that people needed from us and what we could, we could be good at, you know, in the, in the other stores, you know, a little more typical to our area, you know, where you've got, towns of 40 to 50,000 at the max. Whereas over right. at Wilkes-Barre Wilkes- Scranton, there's a half million people between those two counties. Um, so it's a little, little bit of a different animal. Um, but, you know, like here where I live in State College, there's currently three music stores here right now. One is closing at the end of December. Um, they, their landlord is selling the building and and the university bought it and it's going to be torn down. And so I don't know that we benchmark as much off of what our local competition is doing as opposed to 
what we think we should be doing based on what we see, you know, like when we go to the NAM show or we visit other, you know, I'm going, I'm going next week to visit another retailer as part of a sharing group. And in addition to hopefully learning, you know, different things, I'm going to be walking through their store and take a look at things and say, okay, how, how does retail in this part of America any different than ours or what's better than ours? Benchmark off of that rather than, than, you know, just benchmarking off of something that's local or something that maybe doesn't entirely apply because most of our, most of our, very few of our competitors are actually band and orchestra competitors anymore. Um, right. They're, they're guitar shops that maybe teach some lessons or whatever, but um, within our, there's, there's nobody else selling acoustic pianos within our market area for the most part. Um, and not really anybody doing band instruments. There's some repair and, and things. There's a very nice string specialty shop, but either from luck or, or good fortune or, or, or good planning, we've, we've outlasted a lot of other people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, At Springfield Music, we started using Merchant Cost Consulting earlier this year. These guys are former banking and credit card reps who go and negotiate your processing rates on your behalf. Now, like most of you, we're pretty aggressive about shopping our processing rate around, so I wasn't sure they'd be able to save us much money. But boy, was I wrong. On average, they're saving us about 600 bucks a month. The deal is we split it 50-50 with them for so many months, and after that, all the savings are ours to keep. Plus, they keep an eye on your fees during this time to make sure those freaking credit card processors don't find a way to jack up your rate again. They're good folks, and they do what they say they do. Actually, in our case, they underpromised and over-delivered. They estimated about 500 bucks a month in savings, and it's been closer to 600 When you contact Patrick at Merchant Cost Consulting, tell him that Donovan Bankhead sent you. This does two things. One, they will pay me a slight referral commission. But more importantly, two you'll get 10% off of your first month's bill if you choose to go with them after their free analysis. Listen, I wouldn't recommend it to you if it wasn't worth it. It'll only take a few minutes of your time. They handle the rest. Contact Patrick McClellan. His email is patrick at merchantcostconsulting.com. P-A-T-R-I-C-K at merchantcostconsulting.com. I'll even give you a cell phone number, 508-733-7622. And remember, tell them that Donovan sent you. And uh, we, we purchased our, our three largest band instrument competitors um, over the past, uh, well, tw- 2013 and 2014. Uh, uh, now tell me about that. How did that, how did that transpire? Well, on, on the one... You know, all three of them were owner operators, uh, husband and wife, but no family interest really interested in the business. Their kids had grown up and decided to do other things. And in, in a lot of the cases, you know, the employees that they did have were probably so close in age to the owners that, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to convince somebody who's 50 or 55 years old to take on a whole bunch of debt and buy a, <laughs> and yeah. buy, a bus- buy a business when they're already, you know, seeing the end of the line. So, you know, I, th- I think it was probably a good fortune for us and for them that, you know, my sister and I were, I was in my thirties, she was in her early forties at the time. So, you know, much, obviously much more receptive, uh, to that type of opportunity. So we were able to figure out what worked for them and what worked for us, you know, learned, learned a lot because, you know, you, uh, 
some of those businesses did business exclusively with some schools that really hadn't done any business with Robert M. Sides. Mm-hmm. And so you go through a learning process of doing a lot of listening and trying to, trying to figure out, okay, what true or, true or not, what, what are their opinions of us? You know, why were they not doing business with us before and how can we try to address those things so that we can earn their trust now? Because, you know, I'm sure as you know, you, 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 you can acquire a competitor and, uh, and, and think like, oh, well, then, you know, the problem solved. And then all of a sudden you, you realize that not all those accounts stayed with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so the, 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 I learned a lot from all three of those transactions and um, didn't handle any of them as perfectly as, as I would have liked. But I think we got better at it each time in terms of uh, not taking anything for granted um, and being open-minded about it, you know, because there's, you know, it's easy from the outside to say like, I don't, I don't know why this, this particular influencer, whether it be a band director or, or a customer or whatever, doesn't care for our company. And, you know, you, you, you have to really not make any assumptions about, about what they've heard or haven't heard or what they've experienced or haven't experienced and, and just kind of just try to take everything at face value and listen to what people have to say. Um, you know, cause I look back now, you know, almost seven years later, six years later, and some of the, some of those folks are very good friends, um, very loyal customers. Um, and I bet if you asked them 10 years ago, like, Hey, can you see Robert M. Sides being your primary <laughs> supplier <laughs> and, and resource for your school music program? They just said, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, um, you know, there's certainly, every, it's all relative. It's funny. You know, when I, I'll talk to customers and they'll say like, Oh, well, you know, your business is so big and you could probably crush all these little tiny music stores or whatever. And, you know, and of course you and I know from, seeing the the industry from a national and global scale that, you know, the revenue that my company does is a drop in the bucket compared to exactly. na- national chains and catalogs and, and other things. I'll, I'll never forget the, the first couple of times I, I told a band director, I said, well, you're probably not aware of this, but when I started listing off all the companies and websites and sub brands that fall underneath the sort of guitar center umbrella, and the jaws just started dropping. And I said, well, yeah, I said, it's, it's a different, different companies, but it's all the same company. And they're like, what? And they said, okay, well, we get it. You're not, you're not a big faceless corporation in the music industry. That's <laughs> and right. I'm not saying, and I'm not saying they are, but, but relatively speaking, you know, we're, 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 we're a good, you know, eight and a half million dollars in a good year. And that's, that's a, uh, you know, a month. Yeah. <laughs> or, le- or less at, at, yeah. at some of the bigger guys. So, um, you know, it's a learning experience for us. It's a learning experience for them, you know, but regardless of how, you know, how much we scale our business or how big we get, we, we try to keep it down to earth and, and, and relationship built because, you know, I have a friend that uh, has, you know, just owns a business, but it's not in our industry. And he said, Oh, well, you know, you guys have a very strong business. You have all these contracts with these schools. And I said, well, <laughs> you'd like to think that they're, <laughs> that they're actual contracts, but you know, for the most part, at least in our market area, they're, they're handshake agreements built on trust. 
and that, that will take good care of their parents and their school and the school and will do right by their business manager and everybody else. And, you know, to a certain extent, you're, you're a handful of retirements away from seeing your rental numbers or, or whatever, go go one way or the other. And he said, you mean to tell me there's nothing on paper for, for your, for, for this. And I said, you know, maybe two or three schools that have put it out to bid and there's, and there's paper involved, but no, this is a, this is a grassroots, um, you know, if you do what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do it, and you're responsible and dependable, um, you earn people's trust and, and hope, hopefully it turns into loyalty and longevity. But yes, it's, uh, uh, it is not a, uh, a contractual business <laughs> other than the contracts that, which are of course, month to month <laughs> that we, right. sign, that we yeah, sign. Exactly. Um, so yeah, from an outsider, the, the, that was a good jaw drop on his face where he's like, Oh my gosh, that, your whole business plans kind of handshake. And I was like, yeah. So you just got to make sure that you can't send out a bad road wrap. You can't make a short-term business decision. That's going to cost you long-term, um, problems. Um, you, you have to take the long view on everything. You're saying you can't send out a bad road wrap. Have you sent out bad road wraps in the past? Well, there, there have been times now, I, I will say that top to bottom for about the past 10 years, we've had the best road reps. I mean, I've got right now, I've got north of a, a hundred, if not 150 years of combined experience in, in our team of road reps. And how many do you but, have? Uh, six. Okay. So I got one at five years, one at 13 years, one at 20, one at 30, one at 15, and other ones at 20. Um, so, you know, we're, we're very, and they've all, you know, they're all players. They're all people that have gone through the festival system. Mm-hmm. But, and so they, they understand the music side of the business. And like you said, but they also understand the, you know, the business side of it. And, um, and we're, we're extremely blessed um, to do that. Cause it, at the end of the day, most companies can provide, a, a you know, a, at least an average repair shop, and some kind of instrument that's not totally going to fall apart and a rental program that is at least somewhat understandable or whatever. Um, but that person that gets in that van is, um, man, uh, if they're not good, it doesn't matter how good the rental program is. It doesn't matter which brands of instruments you sell. They're either either making the teacher and the parent's life easier or harder. It's, it's really not possible to tread water. Right. You can try to get better and end up treading water. Um, but if you're, if you're going out there with the hope of just treading water, um, you're probably going to slip. And, you know, in a, if you're in a market where there's competitors or other options or whatever, oh yeah, um, you know, it, 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 it doesn't, it sometimes, you know, hopefully you've earned the benefit of the doubt that if you can fix a screw up, you're okay. But, you know, you, you still gotta, even if you don't have a ton of competition, you've got to you've got to still have that, that, that itch to say, you know, I don't, I don't want to be the reason why they go looking for competition or anything. Right. Like what makes a bad road rep? Not well, just theoretically, but like, oh. you know, in your, what have you experienced that makes a bad, makes for a bad road rep? You know, I'm living proof that you don't have to be the world's greatest musician, but you have to, you have to have a level of interest in what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. for instance, I don't, you know, I don't think somebody can go from pharmaceutical sales 
and say like, oh, well, you're used to running a route and driving around and you're, now you're going to help these band directors instead of doctors or whatever. Um, it, it, it doesn't translate because you, you, I'm sure there's probably people that say, I don't really, I'm not passionate about pharmaceutical sales, but you know, a six figure income makes them passionate about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but the amount of windshield time and the amount of, you know, meeting a band director on their front porch because you didn't, you, you were late getting to the school or meeting a, meeting a band parent somewhere else and doing that. You've got to care about the mission and what's going on in order to want to do that on a consistent basis and drive 30 to 40,000 miles a year. Um, you, you have to have either experienced that through your own kids or through yourself as a, as a kid. Um, you know, some of my, some of my road reps aren't old enough to be band parents yet. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, one of them just as a three month old. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm 43 and I just became a band parent last year because my, 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 well, he's in fifth grade now, but he's a trumpet player. Um, you know, and I kind of joked with some of the teachers, I said, all these years of helping parents and band directors, and now I'm finally a band parent. But, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, th there has to be some kind of connection to the mission, because it, it's not, you know, like, you're not the tasty cake guy, you don't show up at, at a set number of stores and just fill in the slots where there's empty stuff. There's, there's unique challenges and everything else. So you've, you've, you've got to care about that. Um, but you also have to be wired. I mean, you've, you've hired, you know, in staff stores over the years and you see people that are wired for inside sales and you see people that are wired for outside sales. So you, you also can't just say like, Oh, well, you're a retired band director or you're a, a, a professional musician and you care about music education, but they ride around with you for a day and go, holy cow, that was 250 miles. Um, I had fun. I enjoyed the people we talked to, but this is not for me. Right. I think most music educators can sniff out pretty quickly whether you're interested in what you're doing or if this is just, you know, something you're doing. Um, it's, it's very hard to fake it as a road rep. Yeah, that has a way of coming <laughs> across, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, it's because it's mentally and physically taxing um it's it's hard you'd, you'd have to be a, a real pro to sit there in the parking lot outside the school and say okay poker face time right. <laughs> i'm going i'm going in <laughs> uh, you know week my, after week after yeah, week well yeah. and and you know the, the, when i i started calling on schools two weeks before the columbine massacre happened and calling on schools before the columbine was a heck of a lot easier in that you know, you just pulled up to the door that was propped open you know, or, mm -hmm. or you knocked on the window and the band director lets you in and, and whatever. And that whole dynamic changed. And, you know, we went through a time where schools didn't want you in there. Um, and now, you know, I think we've, we, we do the background checks and IDs and business cards and we, we, we play by the rules. We, you know, even when a band director says like, Oh, just knock, I'll still let you in. No, no, no. You know, we want to be, we want to be a good neighbor to the administrators and everybody else. So, you know, but that, that adds 20% more time to every stop that you yeah. make. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, most of my road reps now, all, all but one weren't road reps before Columbine. So they've never known anything but, <laughs> right. you know, security, but, and I only knew it for two weeks, but it right. still, it still, it flipped everything upside down. It was quite an experience. So where have you had success finding road reps? I'm just going through former band director, um, music business major, 
who pretty much, so the one, the, the, the gal that just had her baby, I met her right out of college and she knew what a road rep was. And she went to school for music business because she loved music, but she didn't want to be a teacher. And she's probably the only person that was like, I know what this job is and this is what I want to do. And I was like, mm, 13 years later, we're still blessed to have her. Um, but everybody else applied. So I'm trying to think if we went and found anybody. The one, the one road rep we got through an acquisition when we bought one of the other stores. The other one, you know, they, we, get to know, we got to know two of them through university music programs. And then they graduated and needed a job in and around music. And then all of a sudden, you know, I think a lot of people have that in music stores where they're like, well, I love music. I need to make a living. And, you know, there's, and, I'm not, and if I'm not a teacher, what are the ways I can make money? So, you know, I've, I've, I look at, you know, some of our road reps play in pit orchestras uh, for in the springtime and they'll teach, they'll gig you know, playing symphony. My, my store manager in State College, who also road reps a couple days a week, he's the bass trombone player in our local symphony, and he teaches trombone lessons at our store. But, you know, he has two degrees in trombone performance, so I don't think he graduated saying, hey, music store's where I'm headed. Right. Um, he, we hired him part-time to, uh, to help write rental contracts one fall just for a month, and then we kept him. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, 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 the college, you know, and, and it's in the, you know, and I don't, I don't really promote it as that, but you know, when, when I go in and talk to the music ed kids, you know, I, I, I tell them, I say, you know, obviously we need a, we need a ton of good teachers out there. I said, but I can tell you that all throughout our company are people who had a passion for music and for whatever reason, no connection to teaching or love teaching, but didn't want to do the K-12 thing. Right. Um, and they didn't want to, they, they still wanted to scratch that musical itch in some way. It wasn't just playing in the community band. They want, they, you know, you know, and, and for in Williamsport, for instance, the, the, the woman who does our accounts payable, is also our clarinet teacher. <laughs> and, you know, she has a music degree and a business degree. And, but when I hired her, she said, would it be okay if I, if I helped out and taught clarinet lessons? And I said, I, I think it'd be fabulous because, accounts payable in music it's still music but it's accounts payable and she's, right. able, she's, <laughs> she's, she's able to scratch that music itch you know without having to go even leave the building she can right. set her computer down go teach three lessons come back and and pair up some more print invoices or something right. so uh, we're, we're, we're really lucky in that sense that we don't we don't we don't have to send people away from our businesses to to stoke the, 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 their passion for, because none of them when they were in grade school or in college were like music stores where I'm going. Yeah. Um, but they're there. Yeah. And, and then they're finding meaningful work, which is, which is the other nice thing. You know, I, I know a lot of times in, in music retail, the stores are of a smaller format and you can't offer benefits full time and stuff like that, that, that people need to, to make a career out of it. And we're, we're very fortunate that we're able to, to provide those things so that we can get great people and then keep, and then keep them. Cause you know, you can be passionate about everything in life, but if, if the bills aren't paid and the family and the family unit's not functioning, um, you know, those, those passions sometimes have to take a back seat. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, which I think is interesting. You're, you're mentioning that you live uh, about an hour and a half away from your corporate offices and, and the town you live there, you do have a location there, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. 
So you yeah. live in State College, Pennsylvania, and, and there is a Robert Inside's music location there. And two days a week, you go uh, an hour and a half to the east. What town is the corporate office in? Uh, Williamsport. Williamsport, sorry. So when you're not in Williamsport and you're at home, like, what are you doing? Or do you go in? Are you regularly going into the store in State College? Are you working from home? What does that look uh, like? It'll, it'll vary. I mean, a lot of times I'll go into the State College store and just work from there because I do, like I said, I have an office there. But there's other times where working on uh, pricing or working on something with our purchasing agent. And I, and because in, in the State College store, I would be in the same office um, with a road rep who's not there during the day, but in the morning and the afternoon and the store manager. So if I'm going to be on conference calls all day, I'm not going to put them through that. Um, but if I'm just crunching through work and I'm not going to be disruptive and I can occasionally be an asset to them, it makes more sense to do the work there and be available. But, you know, you, you, you also, you know, the, the store manager there, Nick and I have, you know, been talking a lot about like, okay, you know, when I'm here, I certainly don't want to be the person that undermines you by somebody coming and saying like, Hey, Peter, what should I do about this? And, you know, and then it, it takes discipline to say like, Hey, I would love to help you, but I am not your store manager and I don't want to. <laughs> and, and admittedly, sometimes I'll just say, you know what, I'm going to do Nick a favor and I'm just going to answer this question. And then I sit there and go, okay, did I do him a favor or did I just allow people to, you know, to, 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 to skirt the chain of command. And, you know, it's, that's, I'm, I'm never, never perfect at that, but I try to be mindful of it. Are you a big chain of command guy? Well, you know, it's, it's, I, I forget who said this, but, you know, they say everybody deserves to have one boss and, you know, and you have to think of it in terms of their perspective, not ours and say, okay, if you were, if you had a boss, how would you want to receive communication? You know, and, and how would you, would you want two different people telling you to do two different things in two different ways? And I really try to maintain that whenever I can and not, you know, being a family business, we're pretty flat. We don't have regional managers or we got store managers, uh, office manager, and then uh, the, the company. And so there's no question that, you know, having my, my sister and I both being involved um, there can be occasions where, where one of us accidentally undoes something or, you know, those rare occasions when, when, uh, you know, just like kids, you know, they'll ask mom for something and mom says, no, go ask dad <laughs> and don't tell dad and don't tell dad that you already asked mom. And she said, no, and see what happens. And so right. you just have to, you have to keep that in the back of your mind that, you know, you want to, you don't want to encourage that, but, you know, but you still want to be helpful to people. So it's, you know. There's always, there's always going to be that balancing act of, you know, give, give, give the people the information they need, but make sure that we're following protocol because if, if, if they feel like they have to come to me and they just should skip the store manager, that really puts him in a tough spot. Oh yeah. And, and I've been around the state college store these past three months a whole lot because of that helping with that maternity leave. So that was when he and I noticed that, wow, we got to, we got to tighten this up a little bit because I'm, I'm just, I'm in proximity more than I normally would be. So it's just makes it easier. So thinking about yourself personally, what do you think is your biggest asset? I think I'm pretty good at understanding how to, how to communicate with people that communicate in different ways. You know, sometimes it's a downfall because I'll open myself up to 
more information than I need <laughs> or, or whatever. I'd rather sort things out and fix them early than let them fester. And so I try to, I try to, try to be a good listener, try to uncover things before they become big things. And kind of, cause it, like I said, it's, it's all, it's all people. It really, like I said, our, our band program is nothing without the, the people that are answering the phones, calling on the schools and doing the repairs, you know, and I, I, I tell them, I say, you know, we don't, we don't have control over whether they like the, the music teacher. We don't have control of what their personal finances are or whether the parents are gonna, you know, try to push the kids to not quit. We don't have any control over that, but we have control over the paperwork, the quality of the instrument, the way we treat people and everything else. Yeah. And so we got to focus on those things and make them as consistent and repeatable as possible so that we're not the reason, you know, it seems like no matter what we do, 40% of the kids quit every year. I don't know what your number is, but <laughs> yeah. No, that's in that ballpark. Because there's always, you know, there's always good teachers coming into the system. There's good teachers retiring. There's, you know, a bad administrative decision, a good administrative decision and whatever. So there's, like I said, there's, there's a certain amount that's outside of our scope, but the things that we can't control, we got to, you know, and so if I start to feel like the system is breaking down at some point or somebody's, something's not working right, you know, we got to get in there and talk about it and, and quickly. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to call myself a people person because, you know, I guess everybody thinks there's a certain amount of a people person, but, um, there's a, I think there's a, a level of intuition that I've come to trust and it's generally served me well. What's your worst habit? My worst habit? I am impatient. <laughs> I you am and I have a, some similar qualities here, just yeah. so you know. <laughs> I I am impatient. And that used to mean that I would just do it myself rather than taking time to properly train the other person. And, and, you, and you know, and you, you have to come back to the point of saying, you do, as, as an owner or a manager, you don't get the right to be upset or disappointed or frustrated if you haven't done the coaching, you haven't done the training, and you haven't done the reinforcement and telling them why. So not only do you not have the right to be upset, if you do it for them, <laughs> then you definitely doubly don't have the right to be upset about you know, a breakdown in, in something like that. So, sure. you know, what they say, measure twice, cut once. Well, train, train twice. So you don't have to do all the other stuff, you know, that's, that's not helpful to them or to you. I remember several years ago for the holidays, we kind of made up awards and gave them out to people, sort of like our own version of the Dundies, I guess. Sure. And, sure. uh, <laughs> the award I was on the team that was you know coming up with the names of the awards and stuff I didn't realize they had created one for me <laughs> and my award says the I don't like that change it today award <laughs> that was the yeah. name of my award I'm like yeah it's pretty accurate you know because I get frustrated sometimes because you think yeah you know, you'll say like well let's let's make this change and then you talk about it again a week later and you know where are we at is this done no and like things just kind of can sit forever and, and not get finished. And so sometimes being impatient is because things are moving too slow. You know, people need that, they need that inspiration. We'll call it that. They need your inspiration to get their butts in gear and get, yeah. <laughs> get that project but, done. And, and I would, but I would say probably because of my impatience level and saying like, oh, I don't want to have a hundred meetings about this. There's a distinct possibility that, you know, if I told them there were three things, 
you know, did I actually take the time to tell them which one's the most important to them and to our customers and to our company? Or did I just, you know, so if they did it in the order I didn't do it in, there's a, there's a likelihood that I didn't tell them the order to do it in because yeah. I didn't tell them which was more important. So, you know, keep just working on that communication. And uh, the, the, to a certain extent, the opposite of impatience is uh, understanding and kindness. Keep that keep that in the back of back of my mind. Um, I can usually catch myself before I say or do something that I shouldn't do. Well, good for you. <laughs> well, I'm going to try to learn that skill. <laughs> catch myself before I say or do something I regret. That would be great. So have you ever had a mentor? Well, obviously I've, I've you know, I've, I've worked in the family business with an older sister and my father. And so, you know, they were certainly there to, 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 to share knowledge and experience. I don't know that I would call it a formal mentorship, but um, we've been in, we're in the uh, Omega sharing group. And mm-hmm. so, you know, much like any other thing, when you've got people in other parts of the country that are going through the same exact thing you're going through or might be, and you say like, I remember, well, I can give you a, for instance, I remember a few years ago, a lot of people in the industry were all using the same collection agency and that, that collection agency just up and went away on a I moment's notice. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure a lot of people were calling each other and saying, who, who can, who can shorten my learning curve for plan B? Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, we have, we've, we've had, we've had conference calls on, on the Amesy software because so many of our, you know, colleagues that operate stores throughout the country are on, on the same accounting software. So, mm-hmm. you know, having those, there's, they're, they're more informal things. You know, it's not like we, you know, while we schedule a once a month call or something like that, but you know, that's, that's the, the really nice thing about our industry is that, you know, unless you're doing business head to head with somebody, somebody's usually willing to pick, pick up the phone and say, have you thought about it this way? Yeah. Or, or whatever. So I'm, I've, uh, I try to pay that forward, you know, wherever I can, because it's, um, you know, it's everybody, you know, a lot of people say, you know, most of my good ideas I begged, borrowed or stole from somebody else. So. Amen to that. Well, you think of, I know I've been to it, not been to, but I've heard like read in different trade magazines, probably 10 different people that have said, uh, (laughs) they've said like, Oh, my grandfather invented instrument retail, uh, a rent-to-own programs back in the 1940s. <laughs> kind of like there's, uh, I've been to two different towns that both claim to have invented Memorial Day, but, you know, <laughs> uh, it, from what it appears is after World War II, everybody kind of had the same idea. If I rent these, I'll, I'll sell a lot more. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so, that's ex- But we're not sure who did it first. Yeah, and it really doesn't matter. No. You know, it was a good idea that took hold and yeah, thank God and, for it. Yeah, because, you know, as, as I said, you know, you know, you talk about the piano business and recessions, you know, we didn't have to change the band program when the recessions hit. We were already renting stuff. Yeah. You know, it was it was already set up the way the way it needed to be set up. So, you know, we're very, very fortunate. And when you talk to people from other other countries when they're like, yeah, we don't have school music. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any of the stuff that you you know you're, oh it's okay. not even the other countries it's the other coasts i mean you well, look at school true. music in california and stuff it's drastically different than what it's like in the midwest and the east coast yeah so you know i i don't know it's a it's a totally different ball game over there 
So okay. tell me about your biggest challenge and how you overcame it. Maybe a big challenge a would big be a challenge. better question. It doesn't, you don't catalog your biggest cha yeah. <laughs> biggest challenges, but just a, an instance of one. I, don't, I wouldn't say that it was my challenge, but I remember in the early 90s, um, the attorney general in the state of Pennsylvania decided to go after companies that did rent to own. Mm. And we got lumped in there with the rent centers because he, he was, he was upset about punitive interest rates. Right. And things like that, which really wasn't for the most part a thing in, in the music industry, but we all had rental contracts. So we all got lumped in together and the stories I hear about the, the, tr the trips to the state Capitol and the legal things and other things just to, you know, to ensure, cause it would have, it would have not only damaged the music industry, it would have done irreparable harm to the music, to, to school music programs. Yeah. Um, had that happened. A lot of, a lot of hard work put in, uh, you know, by, by everybody. I was only in high school at the time, but I just remember, you know, we, we used to have to carry around laminated letters from the attorney general. Our road reps had that said, you know, Robert M. Side's contract as of this date is legal and, da, 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 you know, and, and um, you just don't kind of, you just never think that, 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 oh, that's going to happen to me. Right. <laughs> you know, probably the same way a year ago when the tariff thing started, we all went, oh, well, that's a shame for the steel industry. And, and now all of a sudden here we are now we're like, <laughs> hey, there's tariffs on musical instruments. Right. Yeah. Because I definitely was probably thinking that, like, oh, well, that's only a music music stands are made of metal, so okay, I can figure that out. Right. Tell me about a big success and how you achieved it. You know, I, I would say one of one of the things that we're we're that I'm that I'm proud of is we 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 became part of the. Uh, oh, I shouldn't even say I won't even limit it to that, but we've introduced probably a, a handful of of brand names over the years. Um, some that we direct import and others that are just smaller manufacturers. You know, I think of like Cannonball, for instance, or John Packer, um, quality products that, you know, on a local level may not have been given the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. or have earned people's trust without having a retailer's name like yours, your company or our company or somebody else attached to it. Um, and you watch those success stories and you watch, you know, school budgets being expanded because they trusted you, mm -hmm. you know, to do that. And that, that's really rewarding because that's, that's, that's a, it's a, it's creative selling, but it, but there's a, there's a win, win, win triangle. If the, if the customer wins and Robert M. Sides wins and our employees are able to win, that's a sustainable transaction. But if any one of those three, if it's good for Robert M. Sides, but bad for the customer and good for the sales rep, that doesn't work. And if it's bad for the sales rep, but good for Robert M. Sides, that doesn't work. Right. It has to work all the way around. And, and it's been a real thrill to watch, you know, to get to like, you know, Tevis and his family and, you know, getting to know. In fact, I can tell you, and I think I told you this once before, the only reason I'm doing business with John Packer is because he had a testimonial from you. And I was like, well, you, you were obviously, you know, experienced in this and you don't, yeah. and, and the quote you had was perfect. I didn't need another brand, but this is good stuff, you know? And yeah. I'm sitting there going, okay, I don't need another brand, but this is good stuff. And, and Rob's a great guy. Yeah. Um, and so those are the, those are the things that, that, that are, are kind of, 
are the probably the most meaningful things when you can, you know, I was in a, I was in a, you know, if a school can get a, get a Barry Sachs and two piccolos instead of just a Barry Sachs or something like that, where you find those, those things and, and, and you didn't sell them something that's not going to last long. You right. solved, the, you solved the problem. Right. Um, that, that, that's probably it. Well, and the John Packer stuff too, it's been so cool because, you know, I, <laughs> I remember, uh, one of our local programs here got, they just had a real, uh, I can't think of a better way word use than the, the word I'm going to use. So if I come up with something, I may edit this out, but they basically had a real hard on for getting, uh, uh, you know, very large, prominent school music brand of marching sure, percussion. Sure. I won't name any names, but it starts with a Y and ends in aha. <laughs> and uh, like they just had it, they were convinced that like, man, they get this and like their program is going to take it to the next level. And then like the <laughs> the next year, the ad started coming out that Broken Arrow was using John Packer marching brass. <laughs> and I remember just being like, Hmm, I'm pretty sure Broken Arrow is still successful. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, they're not um, Bixby down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and Bixby was starting. With, uh, you know, they were kind of the first ones to get into it. But in the last few years, you know, Broken Arrow has picked it up. Of course, they're a grand national champion, and yeah. and uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of silly. And, and and sometimes they'll get directors who will say, "Well, I." You know, I played that instrument, but I just really preferred another thing. I'm thinking, man, I have heard your baritone players. Ain't no one going to tell a difference. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, that, there's that too. There's the... Uh, <laughs> Trust well, me, save the money. <laughs> not not every relationship will get to that point where you can do that. But, you know, I know we, we sold two John Packer sousaphones this summer. The schools are thrilled with them. And I, you know, we're not going to have to apologize for him, but if something does go wrong, I'm not worried about us standing behind it or Rob standing behind it. So I'm going to call Rob and tell him he needs to sponsor this podcast because he's basically (laughs) gotten a commercial here. Yeah, but there's a lot of, all right. So where do you see Robert insides in the next year? What's, what's the plan for the next year? For the next year? Well, we're, 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 we're taking a, 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 probably a deep breath right now. We, we moved our state college store this summer. We actually closed one of our, our fifth store, which was our Wilkes-Barre store, because it was only 20 miles away from that, that store in Scranton. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we merged those two together into one store and moved this state college store. So I, I can, I, I'm pretty safe to say that this will be a year of just focusing on our customers and our people and, and not doing any logistical uh, <laughs> gyrations and whatever, but you know, we still see strong interest in, in school music and we'll mm-hmm. continue to, you know, we've been expanding a little more into New York state. We'll, we're going to the New York state, all state festival in December. And uh, our, our, our Pennsylvania MEA uh, rotates around and it'll be in closer to one of our home territories this year for the first time in like 20 years. So oh, wow, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. It's usually, you know, down Philly, Pittsburgh, Southern PA, but um, so yeah, we're looking forward to that. How about the next three years? You're trying to make me think strategically. <laughs> of, uh... I'm stroking my beard right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh... No, well, you know, I can tell you in the next three years, we're going to have potentially some, some of our staff that have started, I mean, we have two piano tuners that have been with us for since before I was born. So within three to five years, they're probably going to want to, 
not be working anymore. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. um, we have a band tech who's been with us for about 35 years. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to uh, be coming up on, uh, you know, congratulating some people on some really impressive and careers and loyalty and, you know, finding new people to, to, to fill into those roles that, that are a good fit for us and a good, and we're a good fit for them. So that'll be, that'll be in our three to five year plan for sure. Uh, 10 years, 10 years, 10 years. Well, wow. That makes me 53. I'll, uh, I'll have a kid in college in 10 years. <laughs> so, so hopefully I'll still be surrounded by very good people that'll enable me to, you know, to still be able to, uh, you know, do, do a workload that's commensurate with being a 53 year old guy that has a kid in college, has a yeah. one kid in college and another one about to go to college. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, it, it really, it, there is a, there's, there's a, there's a joy in developing people and, and, and seeing them take on responsibilities that they thrive at and they want to do, you know, and, and that, that's, it's almost, you know, when you talk about proudest accomplishments, it's, it's lately, it seems to be all about seeing other people grow and other people do this and other people do that, which is good because you can't do it all yourself. Right. And you'd go nuts trying to do it all yourself. Um, and so if you can, if you can spread out those responsibilities in, in a way that's meaningful to them and to our customers, it's, it's only going to benefit everybody. Yeah. This, this question is, is something that's been a big part for me at Springfield Music. And it's something that we update every year, but we try to think, where do you want to be in 10 years? And then we break that down to like, okay. And, and that 10 year thing is, kind of fuzzy you know we it's we it's you're trying to look 10 years into the future so we think well we'd like to have maybe this much revenue this many things whatever like it's it's kind of a range and then three years that you know the thought is like well within three years we should be seeing some advancement towards that 10-year goal and then definitely in one year you should be seeing some of those things that we want to accomplish in three years you're going to see movement on that in the next 12 months. And so, sure. and then we take that even further and break that down to, okay, then how about the next three months? And then how about this week? And sure. we're trying to create that symmetry from, so that from 10 years to this week, there's a piece that's kind of like pushing this whole thing forward. Cause yeah, you're breaking one thing that happens down. for sure. Yeah. You're, you're breaking you're, down a, a, an elephant into small bite-sized yeah, chunk. Yeah. Bite-sized chunk. Yeah. But anyway, it's been super helpful for us. What negative situation have you experienced in your business career that ultimately had a positive outcome, but you would not want to repeat it again? I can, this is not a hard one to come up with. In 2009, a couple of months before the, the Lehman Brothers and recession thing hit, our small regional bank that we'd been with got bought out by a larger bank. And that bank didn't really have an interest in learning about the music industry. Mm. And we book our rentals uh, on an, on an income basis, not as a not as a sale with a big, so we, we've right. got a, we've got a huge lease pool, but no accounts receivable for it. Right. Even though the future value of those rental contracts could be multiple millions of dollars. Right. They, they didn't want to hear about that. Um, and to go, we, we, we pitched ourselves to, a whole bunch of different banks 
worked our butts off, you know, all the while when the, you know, the newspapers are doom and gloom and <laughs> this is closing. And <laughs> this is probably the, the worst time to have to do that. But we learned a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot about our business. We learned a lot about what's important. And, um, and the, the bank that we went with, we are still with. Short of them you know, doing something totally out of character, I can't, I can't, you know, because anytime somebody comes in and says, hey, will you, will you take a look at our bank? And I'll say, well, I, I'm sorry, I really can't because until something calamitous would happen with our current bank, I feel like I owe them a, they, they had faith in us at a time when, when it was more popular to, to get rid of clients than to bring them on. Right. Um, and that's still in the, a lot of the same people are still there and that still has a lot of meaning to us. And, and interestingly enough, they were the smallest of the, of the banks that we pitched, you know, the big, the big banks were just like, yeah, we're, if you don't, if you don't have, if you don't have accounts receivable and tons of real estate in the business, you don't have our, you don't have our type of collateral. Understandable because 99% of the businesses probably fall into that category. Right. But, not in our industry. <laughs> I no, mean, some people, some different. people book them as, as revenue, but you know, most don't not, and not don't. those yeah. who have large rental programs and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it just yeah. creates too much, too many yeah, taxable situations. So yeah. Well, and you only have one, you have one month of net profit. It's huge. And then the rest of the months you're down, you're down because you're, you're returning more instruments than you're renting. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah, that was a, you, that was an easy one to answer because that was a that was a yeah. traumatic experience. Well, I can imagine that that's scary. How do you use bank financing? Is that uh, basically for the procurement of your rental inventory? Is that what you're using financing for? Yeah, primarily rental rental assets, short and midterm projects when we like when we have to expand or do something. You know, we did a we did a build out with the store that we moved this summer, and so we did a short term note on that. Um, but they're, you know, I, I send them, I send them report on the future value of our rental contracts and our aging of our receivables. So they know how our rental pool is functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, cause our rental pool is worth way more than our in or than our real estate. <laughs> so it, it, it makes sense for them to want to know more about that. They, you know, they, sure. know what the, they know what the building is, but they want to know over those 12 months, how does that thing, how does that thing grow and shrink and evolve? And, and after, you know, and after, after you see it for a couple of years, you're like, Oh, okay. It does, it does almost the same thing every year. Yeah. <laughs> Just what question of whether, you know, so it's, it's a real relief to not have to you feel like you're explaining yourself in a foreign language sometimes. Uh, oh, sure. Especially if you, some people take rapid depreciation on your rental inventory pool, it could make yep. your inventory look like it's worthless, even though you've got millions of dollars worth of inventory there. Yep. I and totally get it. Mr. Anyone Mr. who's in our industry knows, you know, has, I mean, not, not the music industry, but is in the band rental business. They, they get it. <laughs> yeah. And when you, and, and, and if you're talking to your vendors about your financials, they get it. You know? Oh yeah. But the, the, fi- the, the finance and banking industry is a little different animal. Now, when you are you when you purchase your rental inventory, is that being fin- like what term are you generally financing out that inventory with the bank? Uh, it depends. It depends on the vendor, um, and it, it'll and it'll depend because there's there's we'll try if it's if it's not a growth year, we'll try to keep it a fairly short term. Um, when we were doing those acquisitions of those other companies, 
you know, that was, those were get out, but we, we never, we never went out past, past 24 to 36 months Mm -hmm. so that it would would at least match the depreciation, if not be shorter. Um, But yeah, there were some years in there where we were buying, you know, instantly twice as much as we normally do. And, you know, you want to be smart with that. And then finally, if you could send a message yourself to 10 years ago, what would you tell the younger you? nothing's ever as great as it seems, but nothing's ever, nothing's also as, as awful and tragic as it seems. The, 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 looking back, there were things that I'm like, Oh my God, this is devastating. You know? Yes. And nope, it's not, it's just something you have to deal with. And you know, when, when three small things happen at the same time, all three of them add up into one big thing. And um, you know, that, that perspective, that, that, that hindsight is, you know, you, you, you just want to get more of that in the, in the present moment. <laughs> yeah. Getting better at it, but still, you know, I have to sometimes say, okay, deep breath and we move on. Right. And now what do you want to tell yourself 10 years in the future? 10 years in the future. Don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> Those are kind of related. Yeah, nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's remembering that things are as never as bad as they seem is such an important piece, I think, because it's easy when something happens to just let it really affect you and yeah, but well, oh, taking that like step back. School, school calls up and says they don't want to use your rental program anymore. And if you let that, if you let that affect you, you can lose a whole month. You could lose a few more rental programs. So yeah. you've got to, got to compartmentalize and prioritize what's, what it is. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You don't, yeah. you don't let the same football team beat you two weekends in a row. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're a Steelers fan, I don't know that you can really get that choice, you know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> fortunately, fortunately be living in the middle of the state. I'm uh, I'm Eagles penguins. Oh, nice. Nice. I'm split. I get, I get choices. You have, you have some choices out there. Eagles are tough this year though. Like, cause you don't know if they're any good yet or not. You still can't figure that out. (laughs) I'm a a Cowboys fan. So I know the feeling Uh, it's like, are we any good or not? Like, I don't know. (laughs) I know we can beat up bad teams. (laughs) I I didn't think I'd get a Super Bowl in my lifetime. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. I think, uh, you know, hopefully somebody listens to this and, picks up a nugget or learn, learn something to do or something not to do. Yeah. You know, it'll have all been worthwhile. And I've certainly enjoyed getting to know you over the past few years. And uh, likewise, and, and I always admire the the fact that you, you, you take your NAM show very seriously and you, you give each time slot a job and you don't, let the, you don't let the show come to you. You go to the, you go to the show because I'm always saying I want to spend more time in the idea center, but you're one of the only people that, that, that says that and does it. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and, you know, and it's not that you don't want to meet with vendors or anything, but you nope. know, there's, there's nope. a time for that and there's things I can delegate and there's things I can't delegate and learning is something that you don't, you've chosen not to delegate and that's admirable. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I appreciate you saying that. I really do. I think for me, you know, uh, when I started in this business, I just felt like, I mean, to be totally honest, I wanted to be the guy that, you know, would be on a magazine and that someone would give a shit to actually like want to hear what he has to say, but I had nothing to say and and no reason why anybody would care what I thought. And so it's like, man, I need to learn. And so 
what, and I quickly figured out after about a couple of years, I didn't need more product. Like that was easy. Anyone can go buy product, but I just needed, you know, to upgrade the information in between my two ears. And, um, so I just, you know, over the years have really taken a lot of value out of that. And I know I, I think that NAM Idea Center and, and not just the Idea Center, but honestly, the relationships that have come from that have been the reason why Springfield Music has gone from, you know, one of the 8,000 music stores in the U.S. to one of the top 100 stores by sales volume, you know, in the last 15 years or whatever. Sure. It's the Idea Center. You know, it's listening to that stuff, knowing what things we can apply and do well and having a plan for it and executing it. And what's funny is I don't consider myself a, a really, like I'm not a super organized, disciplined person, but when it comes to something I really care about, I get organized and pretty disciplined over it. <laughs> I need to start caring about my health and my weight and get Wait, organized uh... <laughs> and disciplined about that. <laughs> but I can give a shit about that apparently and I'm all in on this business thing, so. <laughs> oh it's man. Never, it's never too late. That's true. That's what I've been trying to motivate myself, so we'll see what happens. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. If you'd like help with your business, check out musicretailconsulting.com for articles, resources, and coaching and consulting services. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast so you're aware of future updates and rate and review while you're at it. Thanks for listening.